Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by MLB at Bat. Yankees baseball is always live with MLB at Bat. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download MLB at Bat today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We're getting ready to start off September, so we wanted to get a quick episode out. I am John Schwartz. I am the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. Hey, Nate. And we have our associate editor, Gary Phillips. How's it going, guys? It's good, Gary. Welcome to the show immediately upon your first cover story with Yankees Magazine. Pretty excited. Pretty excited about that. We're excited, too. The cover is Domingo Herman. Fantastic voyage, as we say on the cover. It's a great story. It's a tremendous cover. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in this episode, but before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about maybe reset a little bit here for where we are. Right before Labor Day weekend, this is usually a time when you start looking at who's going to be coming up from the minors, things like that. Yankees are in a bit of a weird spot right now. The division race is pretty much, I don't want to say boring, but that's not where the action is necessarily right now. Even the wild card, which... The last three times the Yankees made the postseason, it was through the wild card, but that's not going to be this year. You know, they're going to get the division. So really, it's just a matter of competing not only against the Astros for first place in the American League, but also you have to start thinking about the Dodgers for first place in Major League Baseball as a whole because of the World Series. Every game counts still down the stretch. You know, like you said, it looks like the division is pretty secure, which is great. That was a lot of the guys' goal this year. You know, when I remember talking to guys down in Tampa in spring training, they said, it's been too long since we've won a division here. It's been seven years. 2012 was the last time the Yankees finished first in the AL East. It's actually kind of crazy to think that Baltimore and Toronto have both won division titles more recently than the Yankees have. But that is, in fact, the case. So, you know, they really set out to to avoid having to play in that wild card game this year. And hopefully... 
you know, if things go well, get a bunch of home games in in October here because we've seen uh, the difference that that can make here. Yeah, just going back to 2017 when they had the ALCS here against Houston, obviously we saw what a difference home field advantage can make. So the fact that they've kind of kept that in mind almost these last two years and are playing with that purpose of trying to get home field advantage it's going to make it, I think, a pretty interesting stretch run, even though the division isn't necessarily as competitive as maybe the baseball world overall would like it to be this time of year. And I don't even think you need to talk about this in theoretical terms or even going back to 2017. Last week, I happened to be in Oakland for the Yankees, just train wreck of a series there. And in 2018, I went to Oakland for the Yankees train wreck of a series there. And maybe it's you, John. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> maybe. Fine. Sure. Um, <laughs> I think what it is, is for some reason, and I don't know if it's the shape of the stadium or the lighting in the stadium or something, the team just doesn't play there. They look dead. They didn't, it, it wasn't that they got outplayed or anything like that. or they, they just looked lifeless. And the team followed that up by looking great in L.A. Just absolutely great against a great team in L.A. And then they've looked great in Seattle. So it's always very important that even as teams are going through these short-term things, you know, that you remember it's a 162-game season for a reason, but that's not true in a five-game series, which is when the Yankees very well might be playing the A's in the ALDS. And that home field advantage, you see how important it is there. You see how important it is if they make it to the ALCS, if they make it to the World Series. Yeah, for whatever reason, Oakland has really been a thorn in the Yankees' side the last few years. They've got, I think the best record against the Yankees of any team in the American League over the last five or six years, something like that. So yeah, this weekend's going to be, you know, a good good measuring stick. It, it's kind of strange to like not see Oakland all year and then see them, you know, six times in the span of a week and a half or whatever. But yeah, I, I think the Yankees are going to come out firing this weekend. They're, they're going to want to prove to themselves that they can get something done against this, against this team. I don't know. I, I, I think it's the light. I think there's something, it's very weirdly lit in that stadium. I, I don't know what to say about it. I think it's John. I just want to go on the record <laughs> and say that I think it's John. All that foul territory, I don't know. It's, you know what the something. funny thing is? The foul territory, the Yankees actually really benefited from it a few times in that series. I know, I noticed that too. <laughs> big jams the Yankees got into that all of a sudden they started getting foul outs. Our, our, our corner infielders were playing like corner outfielders, but they were getting the job done out there. So obviously that's just one thing that you know we can look at at this point. The team is 40 games over 500. It's hard because you, you, you go through all these the first five months and now the last month and you recognize that whatever happened in these six months, all that matters is what you do in the playoffs. But man, they've sure done right to the best of their ability thus far, huh? We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes, but just the cast of characters that they've achieved this with the you know Mike Talkmans, the Cameron Mavens, the Gio Rochellas who have played such a pivotal role in putting them in this position where yes you have to win in the playoffs that's what everybody's going to remember but home field advantage is important and they're in prime position to at least contend for that right now because of these guys it's amazing though because every time we set out to choose stories to write or every time every other week when i set out to discuss to think about rather what we're going to discuss on this podcast. It's like, you know, we can't just keep talking about the injuries. We can't just talk about these guys, whatever. But I mean, Giancarlo Stanton has played nine games this year. The Yankees 
are amazing. Luis Severino has yet to pitch this year. The Yankees are amazing. Dylan Batances has yet to pitch this year. The Yankees are amazing. Miguel Andujar, last year's you know runner-up for Rookie of the Year, has given them literally nothing. And the Yankees are amazing. It's just you can't talk about it enough. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> like if you just listed all those things back in March, I would say, oh, man, it's going to be a... It's going to be a rough year. We're maybe <laughs> going to be fighting for that second wild card if we're lucky. But 40 games over 500, like, that is damn impressive. This is just the weirdest season of any team you could think of. And, I mean, not just the injuries. Look at Domingo Herman possibly winning 20 games. Look at Gio Urshela competing with DJ LeMahieu for a batting title. It's just so bizarre and random and yet they're among the best teams in baseball and that's the thing the team should get better over september you're gonna start seeing all-stars and mvps you know and cy young contenders start coming back in september and for october and who knows what exactly the roles are going to be and how much really they're going to get for them but watching super late Tuesday night in Seattle during the game as they started showing Giancarlo Stanton and taking batting practice earlier. And is I mean, you forget, like, oh, my God, they can get Giancarlo Stanton back. You can add Giancarlo Stanton as, like, a September call-up. That's pretty good. <laughs> you hear uh, rumblings, people worried about, like, chemistry when, nope. when you... Uh, nope, 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 nope. Sorry, go on. No, I know. It's... You think back to when these guys were healthy and the chemistry was just fine then. I mean, this clubhouse is one where, you know, all these guys are just so supportive of each other. Like, it, it clearly doesn't matter who it is that's hitting the home run or, or driving in runners. You know, they're all just excited for each other. And as long as the Yankees win, uh, <laughs> everybody's fine with it. So. You know, it's great for team morale, MVPs. Like, you know, 20-game winners. Yeah. Um like, that, winning that's winning awesome. ball games. That's you know? awesome for team morale. Winning, Luis winning Severino, division titles. Luis Severino is great for team morale. Like <laughs> I'm just really curious to see what the playoff roster ends up looking like. And I guess this could serve as a tease for our last segment on the podcast. But you know, just something to think about because there's going to be guys that have been huge contributors. You can't bring them all. Yeah, you're right. There, there's going to be some very uh, valuable pieces whose names are not going to be on those postseason rosters. Who do you think doesn't come along? I don't know exactly right now because we still have to see these guys actually come back and stay healthy. Guys like Stanton, Severino, and Batances. Well, let's but, let's say those three come back let, healthy. And right. Void. So I mean, and Void. So how many how many outfielders are you taking? Mike Talkman's on your bubble. Cameron Maben's on your bubble. One of the funny things to me is when you looked a couple months ago when the team signed Terrence Gore and you said to yourself, man, this is such a genius postseason move. You know, every team wants that pinch runner in the postseason. Like, give me a break. Like, <laughs> the chances of Terrence Gore, you know, first off, finding his way onto the 40-man roster, they're not taking Terrence Gore over Mike Talkman, who can run just fine. They're not taking him over Cameron Mabin, who has been incredibly valuable i wonder if the biggest move the yankees made was keeping them away from the astros or a team like that right that's an asset that somebody else doesn't get to have now when you know you're thinking oh who's turning score but like he's a valuable piece in the postseason we see it every year that guys who are strictly stolen base threats come in and make a huge impact and now another team is going to be deprived of that this season I, I gotta figure that you know all these guys who have missed so much time it's got to be so hard watching this team 
just win series after series and have so much fun out there. These guys are going to be starving to get back in and contribute. You know, I'm expecting big things out of these guys that are coming back in September. And Cashman and Boone are going to have some tough decisions to make come uh, end of September. Pretty fun decisions, though. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, I'll start with you, Gary. I'll go ahead and start by putting the Yankees in. Who are the rest of the American League playoff teams? Who are the rest? Wow. I'm going to go with the Indians Okay, winning the Central. Winning the Central. So you have them picking up the three and a half games that they're back right now. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with the Astros, obviously, winning the West. Then I'm going to go with Minnesota and Oakland. Okay. So you're basically going chalk right now, just swapping Minnesota and Cleveland. I like Tampa Bay for a while, but not right now. Nate, what do you think? I think I'm with you. I I mean, I don't know what to make of this Central yet. Cleveland, they get hot sometimes, and I think that they're going to do something, and then I I don't know. I'm not... Then they get swept by the Mets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A fringe playoff contender. (laughs) Um, Well played, well played. Yeah, I think Oakland is definitely going to end up with one of these wild card spots in my mind, and the other team will be, I think, from the Central. So I'm pretty much on the same page as you. Neither Tampa Bay or Boston making the postseason. Who would have thought that for most of this year? Me. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> when, true. When they, didn't, when they didn't get any relief pitching. No, but you thought Tampa Bay was going to, not Boston. Yeah. It's a bummer to me, and I probably need to be careful about what I say on the Yankees Magazine podcast here, but I just got so much joy from the Jose Ramirez revival. You know, he was, he was so bad at the beginning of the season and just watching how good he, he, when he picked it up and just started looking so good again. I mean, he's exactly the type of player I can just watch all year. And a week ago, I would have agreed with you that Cleveland was going to pick up that ground on Minnesota. I don't know. You know, I don't know if they can do it without him. We shall see. We shall see. We shall see. It's pretty fun, though. I love this time of year. You know, maybe you're taking the garbage out at night and there's a little bit of a chill again, finally. Yeah. And one thing I always love is whether it's the wild card game or those, you know, first two games, the division series, we show up wearing our suits and it's still like 75 degrees and super hot. And then just somehow like the baseball world knows like one week later, once you hit the ALCS, it's like you can't possibly have enough outerwear to handle like <laughs> the transition from just that one week to the next. Man, but you, you know, get me excited, John. You're starting to feel, yeah, look, we have. College football is about to really, really start. You know, the NFL is a week behind it. It's it's a great time of year. We have Labor Day this coming weekend. I think we've alluded to this a few times, just how wonky right now the Yankees 40-man roster is, just in terms of the injuries and everything like that. But, you know, are there players, Gary, who you really expect to see or look forward to see once, you know, September 1st hits? Assuming they do call him up, uh, I'm excited to see Davey Garcia and what he could possibly bring, not necessarily even as like a potential playoff piece, just I want to see him. This is a guy we've been talking about all year. Uh, I want to see how his stuff handles major league hitters. I want to see what kind of value he could provide them out of the bullpen. Uh, I want to see if, you know, even though he's wouldn't get any starts up here. Now, is he going to have the type of stuff that plays in the rotation possibly next year? David Garcia, who, if you haven't heard, the Rail Riders just, I say Rail Riders, really, it's the Yankees just moved to the bullpen fully. So you have to assume that's in preparation for trip east. John, your your story that we already talked about on the podcast on Davey Garcia, that'll be out in uh, 
the September issue got me really excited about him because I had, you know, kind of only been able to watch him from afar, you know, read about his progress and see the numbers. But, you know, you were able to kind of offer some insight into, you know, what makes him so special. And, you know, the quotes you have in there just from everybody around him about the sort of poise that he has and the presence that he has makes me think, wow, can't wait to see this guy in Yankee Stadium one day. Maybe it'll be this month. We'll see. It's going to be a weird, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves here to move to like December, but the Yankees are going to have a rough time um, with their 40-man roster when it comes to the Rule 5 draft. I'm actually very curious to, you know, if this is going to be like an early off season, which you've kind of seen a few times where you start seeing the Yankees make some like small, weird moves that, you know, only make sense in the perspective of clearing out guys who other teams might want in the 40-man because just otherwise the Yankees are just going to get pillaged. In San Diego at the Rule 5 draft. Oh, yeah. There's definitely some maneuvering that they have to do. They kind of have been doing it throughout the year already to manipulate the roster as needed for call-ups and especially relief help. I mean, when you watch just Domingo Acevedo just get outright dropped. Yeah, it's kind of surprising that you know, they decided to do that over a guy like Ryan Dull, who they just picked up. But it kind of... Sp- foreshadows some of the issues that they're going to have in the offseason. Yeah, so I mean, like, just looking at some names here that are on the Real Riders roster, you know, you have Chance Adams on the 40-man. Obviously, I expect that he'll be around here, but, you know, Ryan Dahl, do they DFA him because they want to get a guy like Penn Heller into the bullpen or a J.P. Fireisen, who's been great? There's just a lot of names like this. Loiziga, sure, he's going to come back up, but is Adonis Rosa really going to be the guy that they want to be bringing up there? They have to get, as we've spoken about, if he's going to come, they have to get Davey Garcia to the 40-man somehow, I assume. I'm guessing kind of that's the Ryan Dahl move or whatever. But it's just, you know, there are these names that you, you figure on a lot of teams would just be obvious September call-ups, but just the Yankees, like they just don't have the 40-man space right now. It's the beauty and curse of having so much depth. Sure. It's having so much depth on the one hand, but at the same time, it's also just the Yankees, because of that depth, have overcome this injury bug so well. But now you're going to see the impact of that because guys who've been out, you know, Jordan Montgomery, people talk about, you know, is he going to be up very soon? Well, it's great, but you got to clear a 40-man spot for him. I'm not a big fan of the expanded rosters in September. I think it's strange to play under one set of rules for five months and then have just everything kind of thrown out the window for the most important month of the regular season. It takes some of the skill out of managing when, you know, you really have to account for for the guys that you have available each night. And when the number of arms available to you go like doubles overnight, um, it just kind of, I don't know, it always seemed odd to me. It's going to be a weird month of September. I don't know how closely you guys have looked at the schedule, but there's only one division opponent coming to town. Now, on the one hand, the division race seems like it's probably over. As we record this, the Yankees have a 10-and-a-half game lead. But on the other hand, it's just, September should be about just a ton of division games. As you, you know, It's kind of a bummer in some ways. I don't know. I kind of like, like all these West Coast matchups at the end of the year here. It gives a little little twist a little flavor to the season that we haven't seen all year after kind of a long grind i, I mean, like what, it. what if it was a two game you know just what, what if the Yankees were behind by two games in the division would you be saying that 
I don't know. Okay, fair enough. I, I don't know. I don't love this. I mean, I would rather see teams like Texas and the Angels and the A's come here July and August, and I'd rather be seeing, well, normally I'd rather be seeing a lot of Orioles and Rays. I don't, I don't know if I can handle any more Orioles games at this point. I think there are just a little bit too much carnage in those. I think they agree. It's going to be fun. They're closing down oh, yeah. whatever they call that stadium now in Globe Life Park or whatever. Mm. They're going to play the last games there. As they get I feel ready like that play. happens a lot. Teams are leaving stadiums and the Yankees are the last team that plays there. Whatever reason. I don't know. <laughs> I imagine we're not going to do the work to fact check you right now. So let's just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's a lot to watch though. This weekend, obviously Labor Day weekend, the Yankees are home. We have a, the A's coming in for a rematch of what can only be a better rematch of the series we had last week than the Rangers coming on Labor Day. And we have a lot to look forward to. It's going to be maybe not the most dramatic you know, division race for the Yankees, as we said, but there's a lot they're playing for. There's a lot of guys we're looking forward to watching as we've discussed. And there's a lot of guys who we have been watching who we're looking forward to just getting to enjoy for a little bit more time. We're going to come right back and talk about One of those guys, Domingo Herman, and also some of the other cast of Island of Misfit Toys that somehow the Yankees have been riding to a 40 games above 500 uh, start to the season. So stick with us. Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Yankees Magazine podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. We are back, and man, we're going to do a lot right now about guys who kind of, whether you want to say came out of nowhere or just kind of enjoying just a little bit of a bizarre season, but man, oh man, Domingo Herman, Gary, your first cover story, a really, really just interesting look at a guy who's kind of been told no all his life and wasn't allowed to do what he wanted to do, and then all of a sudden, yeah approaching 20 wins for the 2019 Yankees. Just great job for us off. But Thank what, you. Was, what, what was your inspiration here? What were you trying to do? I wanted to know where this guy came from. This guy that's going to win possibly 20 games. That's kind of, you know, in what's granted been a very inconsistent, difficult year for the Yankees. Rotation has become the default ace of it. Um, I wanted to know where he came from. I wanted to know his background, his upbringing, how he thought, how he looked at things. Now, from talking to him, I have found out he's a really, really interesting guy on top of being a very good pitcher. Maybe it would be uh, worthwhile to just kind of briefly go over sort of his journey to this point. How did he become a Yankee? Growing up in the Dominican Republic in San Pedro, he played a lot of infield mostly as a kid, some third base, some outfield. His friends always told him what a great arm he had. He wanted to pitch. He wanted to you know, be the guy controlling the pace of a game. And his coaches 
told him no. They didn't want him to. They didn't want to consistently put him on the mound, and to this day, he still doesn't really know why. So he quit for about a year, spent a lot of time with his late uncle as a as a ranch hand, riding horses, fell in love with horses. We talked about that a little bit in the story. Um, and then, you know, just before he turned 17, he still had this itch to pitch. His A couple friends had some contacts and had trained as pitchers and brought him along, got him up to speed after the time off that he took. And incredibly, before, uh, four days after he turned 17, he's got a contract with the Marlins. And then, of course, as a lot of Yankee fans know, he was part of the Nathan Avaldi deal, comes over here. He misses a year with Tommy John surgery, has a few successful uh, years in the Yankees minor league system, had his cup of coffee last year and the year before that. And then here he is with Luis Severino out for what's been most of the year. He's kind of filled that void in the rotation. The Yankees didn't have much of a choice, but he's been fantastic. I, I recognize everyone knows what's going on with offense in the league in general this year. But, you know, as I look down the five primary Yankee starters ERAs for the season. You know, just going from highest to lowest. We have five five seven, four nine nine, four four seven, four four three, and four oh three. And look, good for Domingo Herman for having the best ERA among the Yankee starters this year, but obviously, you know, we're not talking exactly about, you know, Bob Gibson in his prime with the way these numbers look. What is he doing, do you think, that's so effective? The reason why he's been better than last year when he kind of split time between the rotation and the bullpen is because he's just throwing more strikes. I mean, and he's doing it with all his pitches. He's filling up the zone. Filling up the zone. Thanks, Aaron Boone. (laughs) I've sat in too many of those press conferences this year. (laughs) But uh, that and I think, you know, another thing that he talked about and other people talked about when I spoke to them, was that he's just confident. Like, he believes he can do it. He believes that he's good enough to strike major league hitters out, and I think that kind of stems back to his childhood when he knew he could be a pitcher, even though people were telling him he couldn't. You know, I remember speaking to Luis Severino at last year's All-Star game. You know, he pitched the second inning in that game, and, you know, he had a great inning. And he said it felt like in 2014 when I pitched in the Futures game in Minnesota where it was like one of those moments where I knew I could do this. Like it was like a level up. And that was like a big moment for him in his career. And I thought it was interesting in this story about Domingo Herman. he also pitched in that same game. And that's kind of where him and Luis first crossed paths, right? Yep. So in that game, Herman struck out. Chris Bryan and Joey Gallo um, before they were Chris Bryan and Joey Gallo. Both those guys hit over 40 home runs in the minors that year. Right. So and they, they were, were like at AAA at the time. Right. And Herman was at single, single A. Severino was at high A. So, you know, it just shows you the level of competition was kind of superior that they mm-hmm. were facing that game. But anyway, so before that game, Herman goes up. He introduces himself to Severino. They're both from the Dominican Republic and you know, just kind of says, Hello, they establish a connection there, and then when Herman gets traded over to the Yankees, he's 
Now, understandably upset, you're a kid, you've known one organization your entire career, but Severino was the first guy he reached out to, and that kind of built upon this friendship, this connection that they already had, and how it's just kind of ironic that Severino's absence for the majority of this season has been what's paved the way for Herman to kind of take the throne atop the Yankees' rotation. What is Severino's take on Herman's season? Because you you spoke to him for this story as well, right? I mean, is he, you know, proud of his understudy? Or I guess Severino's actually younger, right? So it's a little... What, what's the dynamic there? The way he said it to me, and I'll, I'm trying to even repeat the tone, the inflection was, I'm not that surprised. He's known he's nasty this whole time. You know, going back even to that Futures game when they were teammates... And that, you know, just one of the bigger things for him has been confidence, has been the little bit of experience he was able to get under his belt last year. So it's kind of cool to have talked to Severino and got his perspective on Herman's season because I think on the outside looking in, everybody's like, where did this guy come from? How is he doing this? And I think that's kind of been a theme with this entire Yankees team. But in Severino's eyes, it's like, yeah, this isn't really a big deal or a shock. You took an interesting tack with the lead for this story. Yes. Not so much about baseball, more about a you know a different pursuit. Domingo Herman loves horses. What I loved about that is beyond the fact that you told a story that you know shined some light on a really interesting player. I, I really learned just a ton about kind of the guy he is from reading this. I love watching Herman during games. He's crazy emphatic on the mound. He's crazy enthusiastic on the bench. But the, these little bits about his personality and about his family life were the things that I really took from the story. He was open, um, gave me a lot of good insight about his childhood. And I did a lot of as much research as I could. There hasn't been too much done on him already, but... Yeah, I thought it was fun to kind of start the story the way that I did. I kind of wanted to go the quirkiest route I possibly could with it. I remember when I first showed it to you, neither of us really knew where I was going. I, you delivered. I, I, I think I you got found there. some form of a story there. No, I, I will say it's it's funny to me because every time you offer me a first read on one of my stories, you always pick... pick the weirdest sentence I have in the story and just say to me, like, why wouldn't you lead with this? And like, you know, I, I always consider it. And then it's just like, I want to build that a little bit. Whereas you just came right out there firing with your, you know, Hey, Domingo Herman loves horses. Likes horses. And right. You know that, what? Like for those that are confused, like that is the lead. Domingo <laughs> Herman loves horses and it worked. I don't know. He's so young in his career that you think of him as like this kind of wide-eyed kid or, or something like that, but he's really not. I mean, he's carved out a long road to get here. And a lot of the things he said kind of just struck me as he, he keeps things in perspective pretty well. You know, I thought the, the way it ended when he, like the way he talked about the coaches who didn't give him the shot when he was a kid, you know, did, did he strike you the same way as being, you know, pretty uh, a mature guy for what is he? 27? Yeah, 27 now, and absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, he's a little bit older than, I guess, his major league experience, you could say, just because, like, some of the injuries, some of the setbacks he had in the minor leagues. I think some of it also has to do with how the Yankees coach and teach, I guess, culture to their minor leaguers. But also, yeah, I think it goes back to his 
childhood and you know realizing that he's kind of got to fight for what he wants but also he just talked about his mindset on the mound and never letting anything bother him you know whether he pitches seven shutout innings or you know he gets shelled kind of like he did in Minnesota during that you know hell week for the Yankees rotation I I thought that was really interesting I thought some of the stuff that he talked about as far as the lessons his father, who was a ball player in the Dominican Republic, I thought those were really interesting. You know, he talked about his dad steering him towards guys like Derek Jeter and Nomar Garcia Parra and Pedro Martinez. You know, he talked about his dad teaching him that pain isn't always an ex- an excuse, and you know, I think that's debatable, especially in the modern age of sports. And we kind of saw that lesson play out, that approach play out when he had the hip injury earlier in the season, but I just thought it was really interesting him sharing all these philosophical tidbits that he got from his dad or he got from just growing up through the game. And I think that's a good pivot point because, again, for now the 17th time on this podcast, it's the story of this team in so many ways. It's just nothing making sense and nothing going as planned, and then, boom, you're 40 games over 500. And you know, we also, in addition to your terrific cover story we have a feature by a contributing writer pete caldera on the rest of the guys kind of doing playing the same game and doing the same thing it's next man up we're finally writing about the mike talkmans and the camera mabins and all this stuff and it's just that is the story of the season nate i know you worked a lot with pete on getting the story in and getting it ready and it's hard to believe but it's almost cliche to be talking about mike talkman in this way at this point how, how did we approach it in a way that made you know, kind of the story of the season by the time we got around to telling it in September feel different. As as baseball fans and baseball watchers, we're kind of programmed to not make snap decisions and not come to any conclusions without first seeing a pretty decent sample size. We and waited for a pretty decent sample size in this case. <laughs> we did. And, and there's a number of guys on this team who are just, you know, they're legitimate major leaguers and legitimate contributors. Maybe you hadn't heard of them prior to this year. Maybe they hadn't had the kind of success that they had at the major league level until this year, but they're a major reason why the Yankees are sitting where they're sitting. So, you know, for September, for our our last issue of the, the regular season, you know, our goal was to kind of encapsulate how this team got here. That's why you see a guy like Domingo Herman on the cover And that's why, uh, you know, we have this feature in here called Next Man Up. I mean, that's really been the mantra of this team. I remember I was taking my son to a basketball game in March. And I'm sitting there, you know, we've just finished our, you know, yearbook and our April issue. And in our heads, whether on this very podcast or, you know, just for fun, trying to figure out what the 25-man roster is going to look like for opening day. And I, I just remember very distinctly getting the email, this transaction that they traded Philip Deal for Mike Tauchman, Tauchman, <laughs> whatever, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And what were the chances that, that would be a, you know, crucial move for this year? There was no way. I've never heard of this guy. Who is this? I'm sitting there. When they make the move, all I'm thinking of is like, oh, so I guess Clint Frazier is not breaking camp with a team. That might hurt my story on Clint Frazier. And then it turned into, you know, the Tyler Wade news cycle of him being frustrated about it. And the message, as we get into in the story, and as we've talked about here, was it takes more than 25 men to win. 
And that's super cliche and it's super obvious, but oh my God, is that true? It's just been borne out so many times this year. Yeah. And, you know, all of these guys have had successful seasons, maybe at lower levels or in other organizations that were just, you know, obviously our focus here is the Yankees. We're Yankees magazine. So we're not paying super close attention to the minor leagues, you know, organizations all around baseball. But, you know, I remember seeing Talkman in the in the clubhouse in April and just wanting to know more about the guy. And I think we made him our five facts subject in, in first pitch back in April or May, literally because I was like, who is this guy? And I sat at my desk kind of just poking around, you know, different media guides and stuff. And you see like, wow, this guy hit like three grand slams last year and was like, you know, I think second in the Pacific coast league in OPS or something like that. Like this guy can really hit. And then you watch him play defense this year. And oh my God, like, you know, they, they do uh defensive war by position where you can see which team has been the best overall at each position in the league. And at left field, I think the Yankees are like the best in the majors. Thanks to Talkman and Gardner and overall just the the team defense of this Yankee squad I think is a hugely underrated reason for its success one thing I need to mention here and, and I think I'm a little bit cheating because I, I have a computer in front of me we've been having all these discussions about the Yankees injuries and you know next man up whatever there are two guys we haven't even mentioned and that's Aaron Hicks and Eben Encarnacion you know we haven't even mentioned that those two should be back presumably sometime it just keeps going you know you want to talk about outfield defense the Yankees outfield defense obviously gets better when Aaron Hicks is in there in center field moving Brett Gardner over to left field this keeps on going like there's just so much to discuss about who hasn't been around this season, but you can't focus on it because of who has been around the season. Like I was saying earlier, is it's going to make it really interesting when it comes time to set the playoff roster because there might not be room for Mike Talkman or for Cameron Maven. How, how many infielders are going to keep when Encarnacion and Luke Voigt come back and, you know, you're moving DJ LeMahieu off first base. I mean, I can understand, you know, fans also being a little disappointed because guys that they've kind of been riding with and become attached to all season aren't going to be there. Look, I respect all of you ride or die Mike Talkman fans and, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm not go, saying that's the to, right thing. But, <laughs> of course, Luke Voigt or anybody Encarnacion get playoff spots over Mike Ford, but like can't say the guy's not doing his part to earn that spot. No. Yeah. You know how like everybody that's been on a team, you know, throughout the season gets a world, a world series ring. If the team wins, like this is going to set like an unofficial record for like guys who actually earned that <laughs> ring, but didn't make the playoff roster. And, and who knows? I mean, you can't predict with the injuries who, who knows who's going to be pressed into duty down the stretch and into October. I but mean. how good must it feel for Aaron Boone to know that if there is a situation like that, oh, this guy's super battle-tested at this point. Heck, if he needs to call up some other guy that none of us have ever heard of, that guy will probably get the job done too. <laughs> you know what? I, Cashman and his team did such an amazing job, obviously, of building this roster. And I'm not saying that every part of it was just, you know, works of genius. Obviously, there are guys who have overachieved. There are guys who are finding lightning in a bottle. So much, I think, needs to be said about our second-year manager, Aaron Boone, who has just figured out a way, night after night, to get the right lineup out there and to put the guys, put, put the pieces in the right order. 
and keep the clubhouse and all these things that you have to do, the job he's done, it's it, it's been remarkable. And you wonder, obviously, CeCe says he's leaving and he means it. You know, you wonder as they start thinking about 2020, despite all of these guys who are proving themselves and all these guys who are, you know, earning their spot, just what exactly the value is of a Brett Gardner and making sure that the team keeps some institutional memory and institutional leadership because of the way it's paid off this year in just the way that clubhouse has stuck together. Well, I mean, you look at last off season, that was like their first order of business, you know, before anything else happened in the hot stove league, it was like signing CC and Brett Gardner. Yep, you're bringing right. them back, you know, that they clearly put a lot of uh, importance on, on what those guys mean to the team and what they bring to the clubhouse. Like you said, but I'm with you watching that, game against the Dodgers on Sunday night baseball and thinking like, it's really amazing that Aaron Boone spent what eight years in the broadcast booth and then just went right into managing and has been, I mean, his, his record's got to be among, you know, the best over these last two years. Um, So it, it really has been remarkable at the job that he's done. And I mean, but here's the thing, you know, he, he struggled in a lot of ways, in game in the postseason last year, I, I think some of it was overblown. To some, as we've discussed, I think that I'll say it again: every single thing that Alex Cora did in the postseason worked, and if any of those things don't work, he's suddenly not the genius that he looked like, and that's the way baseball is, and so be it. But th- there's no question that there were times it seemed that the postseason game moved a little faster than Aaron Boone was ready for in his first year managing. So you have him in the second year where he has just moved every piece in the right way, you know, plotted everything out perfectly in terms of his lineup if he can nail down i think a little bit of the urgency of october managing then you start asking what can't this guy do like what what are the holes in his managing game yeah that's going to be the big thing to look for just kind of how he bounces back this october from last but like you said what he's done this season deserves all the credit in the world. I mean, it's amazing to me. Like you, you said, you know, he push, pushes all the right buttons with the lineups and the strategy and Twitter disagrees every day, despite the team's you know current standing, which is amazing to me. But, uh, it, it's amazing that he's also done so much to kind of change his perception among Yankee fans in such a short period of time, not just as, a guy that gets it right in game, but also a guy that, you know, is kind of appreciated now amongst the fan base. And I guess his rants have a little bit to do with that this year, but probably not, not as much as being 40 games over though. (laughs) Right. It's it's that combination. And, you know, now you have, I think a fan base that really appreciates him and he's built up some goodwill heading into October. And obviously he has to deliver and have a better postseason than he did last year. Back to your original point about him and, you know, how he ties into this story. It certainly is a credit to him that these guys are able to come up and and find success, even when they haven't done it before at the major league level. Just seems like he's able to instill confidence in these guys. And even if they, you know, have a rough game or whatever, a rough start on the mound, like he never seems to lose faith in guys. And it's got to be a pretty good feeling as a ball player. If there's one thing this season has taught us, it's that we have no idea what's going to happen to anything. You could also say if there's one thing this season has taught us, it's that the Yankees will be fine no matter what happens. But maybe that's uh, not necessarily what we're supposed to say. But either way, September is going to be a blast. 
And we have a monster of a September issue coming out right in time for the Oakland series. In addition to the stories that we've already discussed, you're going to see a really fantastic historical feature that our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri, wrote about George Hallis, best known, obviously, as one of the founders of the NFL and Chicago Bears, legendary coach, owner, what have you. But you, know, you probably don't know about his baseball connection, and that's a story that you're going to want to check out. We have my piece on Davey Garcia. Nate, you wrote just a outstanding, outstanding, emotional, really sharp piece on the aftermath of 9-11 through the eyes of Bernie Williams um, based on a night that you spent with him at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. There's so much stuff like this in the magazine. We also have our annual insert um, Yankees magazine in Espanol, which we hope you'll check out. We hope you'll read. We hope you'll do what I do, which is try to read it and pretend to learn a little bit of Spanish along the way. But by all means, pick up our September issue. We're going to spend a couple more episodes talking about this. It's just baffling to me as we sit here you know, a couple hours away from our edit meeting to discuss our October issue that we're, you know, we spent a lot of time discussing October here. It goes fast, but as you get ready for the postseason, please follow us on Twitter at Yanks magazine, subscribe to review everything you can possibly do to help us with this podcast at yankees.com slash podcast, read all of our long form content at yankees.com slash magazine. And of course, subscribe at yankees.com slash publications. Anytime you come out to the stadium, pick up the issue. You'll love it. It's the probably best value you're going to find for a souvenir at the stadium. We look forward to speaking to you in two weeks. In the meantime, please email us letters at yankees.com and let us know what you'd like us to discuss. We'll be back. Guys, thanks so much for doing this episode. Just a few more left before we hit the postseason. Everyone, have a great week. Bye. Hi, this is Jay Happ. For more stories like these, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.